RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to another episode of the MMA Report Podcast with Dale Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. It is a pay-per-view fight week for the UFC, and we are going to talk about it here on this week's edition of the podcast, along with previewing UFC 271. We're going to take a look back at the UFC Vegas 47, which, of course, took place last weekend. Also, we'll have our WTF stories of the week. Plus, I have got three interviews for you to hear from AJ Dobson, who makes his official UFC debut on Saturday night at UFC 271. Also, here from one of the men that's going to be in the main event of next week's Bellator 274, Logan Storley. Also, you'll hear from an up and coming fighter, Michael Aswell, who fights on Friday at Fury FC 57. Of course, that event will be a part of UFC Fight Pass. Of course, uh, in this episode of the MA Report podcast, is brought to you by Manscaped. And we will tell you about the great deal Manscaped has for the MA Report podcast lister later on in the show. Daniel, it is, uh, I guess we should say, big game week. Are you, are you, are, do we have any uh, big game traditions in the Galvan household? Eat a lot of food, man. That's all it is. Eat a lot of food, a lot of chips, a lot of salsa and cheese. And hopefully there's chicken wings, but it really just depends on what the ants are making. But it's eat a lot of food. It's a family time. It's not actually a friend's time. It's uh, hanging out with the family, watching the commercials, being disappointed by not you know, the lack of comedy in them, watching the halftime show, and just hoping we get a good game. But I tell you what, Jason, it's a long night watching football. It's the longest football game of the year that goes four quarters. What are your uh, big traditions? Well, uh, you know, it's basically me and my wife sitting on the couch and uh, we'll order in some food from some restaurant. I mean, uh, you know, I wish I was working the game, <laughs> you know, like last year. That's uh, definitely going to be an experience that uh, I'll never forget. But uh, it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be weird to be back on the couch after uh, being there last year for the game. But uh, but yeah, man, usually just find some good food to, uh, you know, enjoy there. And, uh, you know, I, I have no rooting interest in the game. I guess my only rooting interest maybe be for the Rams and uh Obviously, knowing Raheem Morris, who's now the D.C. there uh, for the Rams, uh, you know, root for him to get a ring. Yeah, I, I could root for either guy, realistically. Honestly, I'm probably rooting for the Rams as well, just because Joe Burrow is cool, but it's just his second year. Whereas with Matt Stafford, if he wins the Super Bowl, well, the, he, he went through that long run at the Detroit Lions, which is just a really tough run there for him. It would feel nice for him late in his career to kind of get that Super Bowl to validate all the statistics he's piled up. I think Joe Burrow has shown this is a guy who's going to go to this dance quite often over the next couple of uh, decades. So I'm probably rooting for the Rams just because I would like to see Matt Stafford to get that Super Bowl ring. And whenever he retires, the Hall of Fame debate isn't that fierce. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, Joe Burrow's definitely got that it factor to him. He has definitely got that to him. But, you know, Daniel, uh, last week, uh, you know, you know, I, I live my life on social media a lot of because I'm, I'm in marketing and, and a big part of marketing in 2022 is about social media. And, uh, you know, I end up seeing a tweet, which was uh, from at BB Harry Mack where he uh, puts a picture of the Bellator fighter rankings at bantamweight. And the caption is, every Bellator ranking panelist should feel a great deal of shame. And the reason that uh, this person was bringing it up is because Koji Horiguchi is ranked number eight. 
And then a Twitter user, uh, Ricky Thomas, who is at Expose MMA Fakes, interesting um, Twitter handle, says, would love to hear some justification for the catastrophic that is the Bellator rankings, but will likely be crickets from at Jason Foyd, at MMA Kings, at Photo Amy, and, and some other ones. Which So my first thought was, I see this come up in my mentions, and I'm like, oh, this fool think I won't respond? Like, I was like... Okay, yeah, I respond. Koji Horiguchi is number one in my rankings. How he's number eight, it, it's baffling to me. But then I was like, as I, I more thought about this, Daniel, if I'm Bellator, I think this is a good thing. Because all of a sudden, we're still, you know, a week and a half away from a Bellator fight card. And people were talking about Bellator last week because of the rankings. And to me, it just showed that people do care about what's going on in Bellator. It's do it is good for Bellator that people are paying attention to the rankings. I mean, to be honest with you, it's not something I look up every week, even though I know you are, are voting for it and I know you take it seriously. But yeah, this is very similar to the UFC rankings when people were analyzing it week in, week out, and it's like, yeah, you have some people with some great rankings, but there are people with some bad ballots that are giving us some funky situations. And the idea that James Gallagher is ranked above Kyoji Horiguchi is insane i would put horiguchi in that group of guys i mean he, he probably would be number one but he's definitely in that archuleta mix stots group of guys and magomedov I, I think those are kind of like those are your big dogs right now and and i think they've separated themselves every time i see someone question the bellator rankings my first deal of thought is I need to log in. I need to see what's going on here. And, you know, and one of the things that Bellator has said straight from the onset with this one is we want you to be transparent. And, you know, look, the only knock I would put on Bellator and Combat Registry, Combat Registry is who who handles the rankings for Bellator, is that there is no, you know, it's not, you know, it's not a situation where, you know, John Smith is no longer eligible to vote. We don't get an email to say, hey, this fire has been taken out of the rankings. Like when I did the, the most recent rankings, I want to say my six through 10 welterweight were no longer eligible. So that's why the welterweight rankings look the way they, they or no, I think it was middleweight. Uh, rankings look that way but you know the but bellator has always said we want you to be transparent i have no clue how koji horiguchi is number eight i have no idea to me that that says that there are people who just are not ranking koji horiguchi because everyone that was tagged in this tweet i'll put the screenshots up there koji's number one in our ballot so um i I think look if you're bellator i think it's kind of a good thing because when it's a non-bellator fight week bellator is rarely ever mentioned um, even though they did make some news here today, uh, Maz Burnell and Adam Borix are going to headline a card in the St. Louis area on March the 12th. And the CBS Sports article noted that this is a, a number one contenders matchup, presuming the winner of this matchup to get the winner of the rematch between A.J. McKee and Patricio Pitbull. A.J. McKee was doing Radio Row on Wednesday, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. He's doing it on Wednesday? Yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. Earlier today, he was doing Radio Row there in I L.A. I, I don't know why my brain is thinking it's Monday. I, uh, <laughs> dude, that's a big day to do Radio Row because, like, Radio Row, it goes like this. The D-list celebrities are on Monday. The C-listers are on Tuesday. The B-listers are on Wednesday. And the A-listers are on Thursday. And then Friday, everyone goes out and, you know, it, it's just a whatever uh, day. So he's on B-list day. So I did I did Radio Row for many years when I was into Rush Radio. And like Monday, literally no one's there. 
I mean, literally no one's there. But, you know, once you get to Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, that's when it really, you know, heats up. And some media doesn't come in until Thursday because um, I, I'm, I'm guessing this is still the case. But I remember when I was doing the traveling crew, um, basically, once you're in your hotel room on Thursday, you had to pay through Sunday. So that's oh, what that's, you, that's serious. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to. Yeah, it's a four night minimum. Yeah. In these hotels. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, I never would have thought that, but that is interesting. And because uh, the demand's there for the hotels, right? Like they're they're going to fill up those rooms. Yeah, but I mean, look, like, and this is the thing, like, if people want to question my ballot, I've got no problem. Bring it. Like, I'm here to be transparent about the whole situation. You know, the fact is, is, you know, when this whole thing started, we got on a Zoom call with people from Bellator, people from Combat Registry, how this thing was going to work. You know, the one thing I've always said about Bellator, they have been transparent this whole time. They're, you know, they, anytime I've, you know, if I ever have a question about anything, I go to the people at Combat Registry, I can go over to people at Bellator. But I think it was just one of these social media interactions where I think this person tweeting never thought anyone was going to respond to him. And then when everyone responded, I think it was kind of the, oh, crap. Yeah, like he's talking to people who aren't Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. I mean, y'all read everything. Y'all aren't super famous yet. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens whenever you break out, Jason, and, and start your OnlyFans account. But, I mean, yeah, you guys are going to read. You guys are going to respond. You guys are going to hold yourselves accountable. The The ranking is atrocious. How do you think this happened? Is is there a, a part of the process where these people just could have missed Horiguchi's name in terms of like when y'all are submitting your rankings is there just a bank of names and you pick so what it is is on the very left hand side of the screen is all the the divisions plus pound for pound men and female and then the center is your last ballot you put in and then the right is every fighter that is eligible to be voted in that weight class to me the only reason that someone doesn't have koji horiguchi in their ballot and and the fact that everyone that was on this tweet all said we've got koji horiguchi number one tells me there's likely people just don't have koji ranked and and just aren't and maybe they don't take their ballot serious i don't know i i mean that would be the answer that'd be the answer i mean it would be like imagine if you had a college football rankings and you didn't place Alabama in your top 25 at that point you just aren't taking it seriously yeah I mean to me it's one of these things of I you know it's almost like part of me says Bellator combat registry just put just release all the individual ballots yeah I would I would like that I think that was I, I, you know what I think maybe the next next ranking cycle I may just put an article out there with with my ballot I think that'd be a good idea. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that type of transparency, and and you know, I, again, I would try, I would trust you with this ranking process. But I mean, how many people are doing the rankings? Initially, it was 15, uh, and then uh, a Brazilian reporter, I guess, who was initially in, he uh, said that he was no longer a part of it. He stopped doing it, uh, you know, starting this year. Um, but I mean, look, it's but the you know, no. Here's the one side, a, a downside of the Bellator rankings is the fact of it really shows the lack of depth at a lot of divisions. Yeah, I mean, you look at, uh, you look at, let's see, I mean, let me scroll up to the women's divisions. Uh, Valerie Laredo, I think, is ranked. She's not in my top 10, but she's ranked. Because the problem is, is when you're talking about ranking someone and, and not yeah. to, not to, to rail on Valeria here, but the fact is you understand the type of fights they are booking her against. They they're she's a developmental fighter for Bellator. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I think when people see a name next to her, her name, they said, Oh, well, she should be fighting ranked 
fighters. No, no, she shouldn't. She's still a developing fighter. I mean, that's where to me it, it becomes kind of tough in the female divisions, just because um, I think at female one forty five they may have like thirteen fighters to uh, that you can vote on. Yeah, yeah. So that's how you get a fighter with losing record being the tenth ranked fighter in that in that weight class. But like, you know, even heavyweight, Damian Franklin is a big time, you know, upside, but at only four and oh, it is kind of shocking to see a, a record like four and oh and be like this guy's ranked eighth in your weight class. I mean there's a like when you look at these Bellator weight classes, it's usually like you have two big things. You have like the top few and then you have a big gap and you have the the prospects. Dude, there was a time Jake Hager was was ranked. Are you serious? Yeah, take that one in. I remember yeah. like early on these rankings, I mean it was like twelve heavyweights to vote on. It's like Oh my God. Like, and that, and then, but then there's some rankings, you know, and, and I think what also happened with 2020 with some of these international fighters just not getting fights in Bellator, like someone like uh, at middleweight, Charlie Ward, Mike Shipman, they're not eligible right now in the rankings just because they haven't competed. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you see a lot of people with the not ranked uh, on there. Man, it's crazy to me that Melvin Manhoff is top 10 light heavyweight. Not in mine. Yeah, not, who, 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 I don't even know. Who, I'm looking at middleweight. I actually don't even know who Joshua Jones is, uh, but he's the 10th ranked middleweight at 11 and 5. Yeah, dude, it was, I, I, yeah, at middleweight, I remember, I was like, oh my God, like all my guys are just gone. Yeah, and then you're going to have to, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it, they're growing, but uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things where if people are asking for receipts from Jason Floyd and his glove department, he's got all of them. Look, I'm telling you, I've got no problems. You you want to know my ranking system bar? Like that's why I sat there and said like this one, you know, and this one user's like, he's like, oh, I just have questions about. It. I'm like, start firing away. What question you got? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was like, he's like, well, how's it work? I'm like, well, here's a tweet. I explained it. You know, just like, but I mean, look, it's you know, like, let's look at heavyweight. So. Uh, you have much more fighters that are eligible in there. So, like, you know, my top 10, I've got, obviously, Bader as a champion, Moldovsky, Vassell, Fedor, Johnson, Congo, Fortune, uh, Swoma, uh, Karatanov, Minikoff, and Mallory. So, Franklin okay. is not ranked for me. You could vote on Jake Hager if you wanted to, but I'm not. Um you know, but it, you know, the other thing is, is like, you know, it, it's like any ranking system, man. People are going to like it. Some people are going to hate it, but I will tell you this. We do got a key matchup next week for Bellator, Bellator 274 key matchup at the welterweight division. And one of those men that's going to be the main event, Logan Storley. He's going to be taking on Neiman Gracie. So it's wrestler versus jujitsu specialist. I did have a chance to catch up with Logan Storley earlier today to talk about his matchup here against Neiman Gracie. Joining me now here on the MMA report is a man that we're going to see in the main event of Bellator 274, Logan Storley. Logan, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, you know, I know you, you're a guy that doesn't put a lot of things on, on your Instagram, but the one thing that, that did stick out to me was I was looking at uh, your post after your last win. I mean, obviously, after the fight was over, you were critical of yourself for the performance. But one of the things that stuck out to me, you says, I will continue to evaluate, evaluate my game. So as you th- think about how you've you know upped your game, you know, in preparations for this one, is there, is there something that sticks out to you that the, the difference you see in yourself? Um, yeah, it was, uh, I need to let things go, you know, and stop focusing on so much on winning and losing and, uh, really just compete because I know when I just let everything go in the gym and 
uh, I compete with the best guys in the world on a daily basis, you know, and I know exactly where I'm at and, uh, I'm happy with that. So it's just kind of every time you step in there, get a little more relaxed, letting things go, having confidence in my hands and pushing the pace. And so that's one thing, you know, when I look back on that fight, it was just like, man, I, I thought I won 14 out of the 15 minute, minutes, you know, that took him down, beat him up, controlled the whole fight. Um, but I didn't get the finish that I was looking for. I didn't totally dominate him, you know, from start to finish. And so that's where I was a little upset with that. Is that a mentality that you had even back in your wrestling days? Yeah, I think it's a mentality you have to have, you know, with wrestling in the big 10, um, I was wrestling a top 10, top five ranked guy almost every weekend. You know, you're going from Iowa to Penn state to Ohio state, Nebraska. You know, I had all these top guys every single weekend and you had to be ready to perform and put it on these guys because if you weren't, you know, you're going to get beat. Was there a, a, a school you went up against in college that you just, you just hated going up against that university? I don't think you hated going up against them. You know, the, the, you were excited to go out there and win, I guess like the Iowa and Penn state duels were always more people sold out. We were ranked top three always when I was in uh, college, you know, university of Minnesota. So there was a lot on the line, wrestled the Iowa's Penn state, Ohio states. And so you, you got excited for those. Like as you think about obviously your last fight being in South Dakota, now you're the main event. Is there a difference between kind of, uh, the excitement for you, because obviously, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at this fight saying it's a number one contender fight, potentially, you know, the winner could be, you know, getting uh, the, you know, the Amosov and, and MVP winner, but obviously fighting in South Dakota, I mean, everyone is there to see you. So h- how do you compare and contrast the two? Um, you know, what's with South Dakota, there's more pressure on you. I think, you know, when you have a lot of friends, family, kids that you've coached, uh, you know, high schools there, there's a, maybe a little added pressure. Once you get in the cage, it's the same thing. Um, and Connecticut, um, you know, it's a main event, but I don't think anything changes besides the five rounds, but, um, I don't know, just go out there and, and, and compete to the best of my ability. And that's, you know, that's all you can control, you know, is what's going to happen with your effort. You know, obviously the, the five rounds is a new thing for Bellator in 2022. This is the first year they're doing it where, you know, main, all main events are, are five round fights. So did it, did it change up your training at all? Or is it just kind of, Hey, you know what? If I have to fight under 10 minutes, I have to fight under 10 minutes. Uh, I don't think, I mean, maybe you add in some extra things, uh, with rounds and, and pushing maybe one, two more rounds afterwards. Um, but we are always training for five, you know, um, I think maybe the only thing that changes is where you, where you sprint in the fight, you know, you come out there and you sprint for five minutes. Well, now you got 20 minutes left compared to, you know, compared to 10. So that's a big difference. Those, those extra two rounds. But I think once you get into the fight, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta go until that final bell rings. And so I kind of like it as practice for uh, that title fight. Obviously, it's a clash of styles here. You being the wrestler, him being the, the jiu-jitsu artist. Uh, so, obviously, I think a narrative of this matchup is going to be, hey, this is wrestling versus jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, because of how well he is on the ground, do you think people underestimate what he is able to do on the feet? Um, I think maybe both of us, you know. Uh, both of us have mostly won our fights on the 
on the ground, um, took people down some, you know, he submitted them ground and pound for me setting a pace. Um, but you know, he got a TKO his last fight. And so obviously his hands are improving. I know mine are improving and we're going to find out on February 19th. Do you think this is a fight that will most likely play out on the feet because of what you can do on the ground? Plus also what he can do on the ground. Yeah, it just depends. You know, you never know exactly where a fight, you know, what happens, you know, if there's something early in a fight where something I feel or he feels, um, where I think I can take him down and really control him, then, then, uh, then you go for that. And if you're having success on the feet, why change it? You're coming up on five years in Bellator. As you think about, uh, where you were as a martial artist back in July of 2017 to where you're at now, you know, how, how would you, how would you describe this run? Um, yeah, it's just the ability to be a, you know, a veteran at this point of during fight week and things like that. That's kind of where young guys, me as a young guy was like, Holy cow. I knew I've competed in overseas. I've competed at the NCAA tournament on ESPN in front of 20,000 people. I was sold out 15. You know, I've done that. That wasn't different, but it was, the fact that you were with a major, you know, top two organization, you know, you got Bellator and the UFC are kind of your top two. And it's like, I'm here now, like, this is real. I'm fighting the best of the best. And that first fight week was kind of like, you felt the, you know, the heart pumping the whole time. Whereas now it's a, it is what it is. You know, this is, this is part of my job. You know, this is, this is what I do show up fight week, the interviews. Um, and then me as a fighter has changed, uh, just my ability to kind of see things, you know, and that that's why I think the sport's different than a lot of other sports is you have to get that experience. You know what Glover's 42 and champ, you know, we, uh, we have a lot of guys that are older, whereas you look at the NFL you know, in the NFL at 30 years old, you're kind of, you're on your way out Mm -hmm. in a lot of positions, you know? And so I think for, for fighting, it's the more time you're in that cage, the more you start to really see things, learn, be a veteran and, you know, in certain positions, there's just so many little details about it. You know, I mentioned about the fact of, you know, a lot of people look at this as potentially the winner is getting the winner of the Amosov and page fight because of your history with, with Yaroslav. Are you rooting for him to win in May? Because that's the fight that you want to get back. Yeah, of course. You know, you always want to get, get that, uh, that loss back, you know, so I lost on my, on my record and a split decision, you know, close fight. I thought I did enough. And, um, of course I want to, I want the belt, you know, and I guess it, it really doesn't matter who has it. I, I want to, I want to be the best in the world. That's why I got in this sport and I've been very close before to getting a fight for that title. And now it's, um, we're here again. So I gotta, uh, I gotta get over the hump. Do you do you have a general thought of who you think will win that title matchup? Um, I think Amasov will probably get to his spots and uh, control the fight, but at the same time, MVP it can strike in you know an instant, and he's very quick. He has some some wild knees and some you know leg kicks. His sprint in and out, you know, so he can catch anyway anybody. You know, it's not going to take that away from him. But um, we've also seen him taken down before mm-hmm. and kind of control. So that's where if Amazon gets to his body lock and kind of controls him, 
I see him being, being able to wear them out and kind of grind out, you know, a win there. You, you mentioned a little bit earlier, and obviously everyone knows Paige for his, his striking. You mentioned about how you, your confidence as a striker just continues to evolve and evolve. Um, is there anything you can credit to? Is it is it simply experience of, of just getting more and more you know, time in the gym, time in, in, in the Bellator cage? I mean, how, how do you kind of, you know, or maybe was there a turning point for you? I think it was after this last fight, I took two, three weeks off and came back kind of excited to be – really excited to take that next step, spent a lot of time striking and uh, with the guys in the gym, you know, Gilbert Burns, Vicente Luque, Shavkov, who just fought, you know, mm-hmm. was one of my main training partners. We trained a lot together. Ian Gary, Jason Jackson, Delano Taylor, Robbie Lawler, Mike Chandler, you know, guys who all, have knockouts on their record and or who are really good on the feet. Well, you start spending time with guys like that. Um, you're going to have to figure it out. Otherwise I'd be done and going doing something else. You know, if you got beat up every day and weren't competitive, you know, you know, and so being in there with those guys and starting to learn things and slow things down and get my shots and get the better of guys just striking. No, no grappling. It's like, okay, you, you really start to, you know, figure things out. And there you have my conversation with Logan Soley. I appreciate him coming on the podcast to talk about his fight come here next week against Neiman Gracie, wrestler versus grappler. And, of course, uh, the weight division's got – this is a huge matchup. you got the title matchup coming up in May. Also, they just announced on that May card, Douglas Lima versus Jason Jackson is going to be on that card, which could make things very interesting. Jason Jackson, Logan Soley, both training partners there. Uh, but what's interesting to hear Logan talk about uh, the confidence that he's getting there with his hands. But, uh, Daniel, last weekend it was ufc vegas 47 sean strickland gets a split decision win over jack hermanson um salamato i think maybe the only person who thought uh, jack hermanson won three of those five rounds um you know and, and obviously there's been a lot of criticism towards sal dimato um I, I will tell you that uh, I did talk to Mike Mazzulli, of course, the head of the ABC, and uh, you know, basically kind of paraphrasing what he said to me, uh, essentially just saying, let's let the complete body of, of Sal D'Amato's work you know, really tell how good of a MMA judge he is. This is, you know, he, he judges one of the you know, biggest fights out there. I did, did find it interesting. He had uh, seven split decisions uh, out there last year. But, look, Sean Strickland went out there and did what he needed to do there uh, against Jack Hermanson. I'll say this. If you're only going to go back and watch one fight, at UFC Vegas 47, Julian Rosa, Steven Peterson is the fight to go watch. And uh, Steven Peterson misses weight by three pounds, and he lost a crap ton of money last weekend, Daniel. Loses 30% of his purse for missing weight. And then it's the fight of the night, so he lost $50,000. So all I'm saying, last weekend was a damn good weekend for Julian Rosa. I know, man. It's the flip side. It's like the only like possible scenario where your opponent missing weight is a good thing is you take home his part of that fight of the night bonus. And you do feel bad for Peterson, but man, he missed weight and well, he missed weight pretty bad for the weight class. He, He really did. You feel bad for him because it was an absolute war. It was a very close fight. It was a fight where it probably came down to the tech down and Orosa landed in round three. Like, like it was close in round three, probably without that takedown, I'm probably still scoring it for Arosa 29 28. 
But that teardown just made it a little easier for dumb me. But that was great, bro. Like, Julian Arosa is just one of the most must-watch fighters on the roster. And he's not someone that I think I would think of right away if you asked me the question, who's your must-watch guy? But Arosa always brings the fight with his fighting style. And he showcases ability to sustain serious damage in, in round two and return in round three and, and perform so damn well. And let's be honest about it. The knock on Julian Arosa for a long time has been doesn't got the greatest chin. I mean, look, he took everything Steven Peterson had. I mean, look, obviously, you know, there's been some knockouts that he's had throughout his career, but you, you look at the, you know, the shots that he was taking. I, I think we might need to get rid of that narrative that, you know, there's issues there with his chin. Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, man, what, what performance he had. That is a guy to pay attention there as you look there. Uh, John Castaneda, great win there against Miles John, getting the uh, submission there. Chidi Njikwani only needing 16 seconds to go out there. Uh, and get the victory. Uh, Nick Maximov goes out there and gets a win. You know, not the most exciting thing. Got got a crap ton of takedowns in that one. Uh, Sean Strickland, can we just call it, change his nickname to not safe for work? That would be a great nickname. I mean, every other headline with him is not safe for work. I'm sure the UFC production people are just petrified every time he's in front of a live microphone. Uh yeah, he uh, look. He's a very interesting guy. Very interesting post-fight press conference. Um, the fight itself between Strickland and Hermanson, it was kind of a Debbie Downer of a fight. But Sean Strickland acknowledged it, and he was really hard on himself uh, in the post-fight interview. I think obviously when you watch this card, the big highlights are going to be that Arosa Peterson fight. It's going to be Rachmanov kind of showing the world that hey, like I'm going to contend for a championship one day. It's probably Dennis Bonder's gross uh, uh, like arm break that happened in that opener. Those are the things we're probably going to be thinking about. Andrew Kwani as well. The Strickland Hermanson fight, Jason, me and you are going to forget that fight ever happened. It, it was absolutely not super exciting. But I will say this. Sean Strickland's striking defense is dope, man. This guy is incredibly difficult to hit, and he is technically superb. What I worry for Sean Strickland as he continues to try and climb the middleweight ladder is that he falls prey to wanting to entertain the fans so much that he opens himself up to getting hit by shots because even though the five-round main event between Hermanson and Strickland wasn't impressive uh, from an entertaining standpoint— the technique from Sean Strickland, he nearly threw a perfect game. I don't know how the hell Diamato scored that fight for Hermanson. And when you look at his track record, Diamato has had a lot of questionable decisions. Granted, this is a guy who has been in part of so many um, events that it makes sense that there are you know issues. Uh, one of the split decisions that he had in 2021 was the Brent premise is on Molly fight. And I agree with the scorecard. I thought Brent premise won two of those three rounds, um, you know, but look, it's it, the fact is, and, and we need more judges in this sport, but I don't see all these fighters magically when they're retiring, signing up to be MMA judges. Yeah, why why would you want to do that, right? Like Sam Alvey, you know, tough loss for him. I don't see him going to to become uh, an MMA judge following, you know, following his MMA run. So there's no motivation to go and be a judge financially. I'm pretty sure you aren't going to go put a down payment on a Ferrari because you were judging a UFC title fight. You're also going to get scrutinized, and it's just – you know, if you're going to be at a UFC event and you can't be drinking a beer while the fights are going on, why the hell would you even want to be there? So I don't know why fighters would want to go and do that. It's a thankless job, and it's one where we're going to criticize you. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
uh, your job is important because the difference between a guy moving up the rankings and down as well as getting that winner's purse or the loser's purse. Yeah, I mean, look, and the fact is, if you want to be a judge ref, it's a grind. Just look at Frank Trigg. Of, you know, he's worked a ton of amateur shows, a ton of regional shows. Now he's starting to work those big shows in, in the state of California. But, you know, I think for Sean Strickland, it was a great opportunity to say, I'm the guy that should be next for for you know the middleweight title, you know, following this weekend's title fight. But to me, he didn't put his stamp down. I mean, I think if you're Jared Cain here, Derek Brunson, we'll talk about that fight here uh, in a little bit. To me, those guys, they now go, man, we go out there and put a statement type performance. We're clearly next in line. Yeah, I think so. And I think Strickland is very aware of that. I think for him moving forward, he's looking at the loser of the Auden Sonia Whitaker fight. He's looking at maybe the loser of Cannoneer Brunson, you know, uh, a Vittori fight possibly too. But he went from platform, I mean, launch, using this as a launch pad to get a title opportunity to he absolutely needs one more fight. This is just not the fight to go off of. I mean, no one's going to watch this and think, damn, I want to see him fight Israel and Sonia. Damn, I want to see him fight for the middleweight championship against Robert Whitaker. So I, I do agree. He's going to end up fighting probably the loser of one of these next uh, top middleweight fights. Yeah, no no question about it. But, I mean, look, this weekend, it is UFC 271, another pay-per-view fight week here for the UFC. And uh, it's got, you know, obviously, we've got the rematch between Izzy and Whitaker. You, you've got the two fan favorites in the co-main event of Derek Lewis and Tatu Avasa. And I know you had to hear Tatu Avasa earlier today. What did you make it when, after Derek's last win, he threw his cup into the crowd and apparently someone caught it to do a shoey? Oh, he can throw it to me when I win, and I'll do a copy out of his, <laughs> out of his, out of his ball guard. Then I'm keen. What? What, bro? You would do a copy? Like, okay, so Tatu Vase has that. Derek Lewis was asked about that. He also said uh, that if he, when he if he beats you, that he you should throw him your cup, and he'll do a quote unquote copy. In the octagon with you. <laughs> no, man. That guy is nasty, man. I can't do that. I don't know. You silently be knocking at his door all the time. He got to be taking something to help his immune system. That is just nasty. Out of the whole heavyweight division, whose cup would be the worst to drink from? Who cup? Let's say that again. Whose cup? Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Oh man, what the hell? <laughs> nobody. I wouldn't like to drink out nobody cup. I'm sure every, we all fired it, so I'm pretty sure everybody got musty nuts. It's all at the same level. So no, nobody. One's got to be worse than the other. Though. I don't know. I'm not watching all these guys die. So you know, I'm clean. So I'm probably the cleanest fighter they could drink from. Really. It'll be warm. You remember? Latte. <laughs> what did we just hear, Daniel? I don't know. I think Ty Tuvasa is trying to get to second base with Derek Lewis. Uh, like, that is uh, unbelievably hilarious. These two personalities are amazing. I feel like I saw Jackass Forever um, this past weekend. I saw Francis Ngannou hit one of the dudes in the balls. And I feel like drinking the cuppy from the cup from Derek Lewis would belong on Jackass forever, not in a post-fight celebration for Tai Tuivasa. 
And also, like, if Derek Lewis is removing his cup, that's dangerous on live TV. Like, we might expose his his his, his balls to the uh, to the wide audience. I guess it's on pay per view, so I guess it's fine, right? It goes hand in hand with whatever's like four channels above. I guess it's not on TV pay per view. Never mind. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know, I think Disney might be having problems if they're selling a pay per view with somebody drinking a, out of a person's cup. But I'm here for it, and I love it. Look, I'm just listening to Derek Lewis, and I'm just going, man, these fires need to go over to Manscaped. They need to you know, take care of the family jewels over there. And, of course, this episode of the MMA Report is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered precision tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with with this exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code MMA Report at Manscaped. My math is correct. That's about 8 million balls. And I'll tell you, I absolutely love Manscaped. All the great products that they give you. I love the travel bag that comes into the package they give you. I absolutely love. As Daniel, as you get older, you really uh, you need that weed whacker to take care of those nose and ear hairs. Because, well, bro, I'm 40. I need that. It is Manscaped. I'm telling you, you know, back in the day, you know, you know, before Manscaped, you know, you had to kind of get the razor to, you know, you, you want to have some uh, some sexy fun that night. You know, you, you want to clean up down there. Manscaped makes things so much easier today. Yeah, like I'm in my 20s and I have a lot of nose hair and I do use the weed whacker. And I was, I, I you know, and again, if I had to drink out of any UFC heavyweights cup, if you told me they use Manscaped, I would, I would ask for another after my first helping. And with Manscaped, it just... It's, it's amazing, bro. The Performance Package 4.0 is something that is a must-get for any man, any, any man, because it is just great for me from a self-care standpoint. It has everything. It has the weed whacker you mentioned. We're talking about clearing up the ears. We're talking about clearing up the, the, uh, the nose. But what I love, man, is the lawn mower. It is amazing, bro. It works down under. It works all over. I remember when I was going to have my first wrestling match, I had to shave myself, and I'm like a damn werewolf. And I was so glad that I had the lawnmower. And I'm so glad I have lawnmower 4.0 now because it worked magic. Uh, again, there are just so many great uh, products inside the Performance Package 4.0. We're talking about the machinery. We're talking about Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. We're talking about Crop Reviver uh, Toner, Performance Boxer Breezers, even a, a travel bag to hold all your goodies. And there's a whole lot of goodies. I got a shampoo. I got a conditioner. I got a lip balm I needed in this, in this cold weather. When it comes to like grooming, you know, whether it be your nether regions, your upper regions, your middle regions, Manscaped has to be your one-stop shop. I am, I'm telling you guys, I love Manscaped. And the Plow 2.0, tell you, highly recommend that one. And I'm telling you what, when your lady sees that package come in, she is going to thank you in more ways than one. And get 20% off and free shipping with the code Report at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code Report. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Now, I mentioned, you know, we had those those comments there from Derek Lewis and Todd Huvasa, which, look, I might be as excited about that matchup as I am the main event, you know, because, I mean, look, like, stylistically, that's just 
for both of them, it's a great stylistic matchup because, you know, if, if one of those guys is going for a takedown in this matchup, it is because they've hurt the other one. Now, what I think could be a potential game changer in that fight could be the leg kicks of Tata to Avasa. Um, I mean, look, it could be a fight that we could have a staring contest for a, a lot of the first round. But I, once these guys start throwing them bungalows, I would be fairly surprised if someone's not getting knocked out. Yeah. And, and these are two guys who are very hard to knock out too. And, and that's what makes this one exciting. Like we've seen these guys finished, but especially for Lewis, it's largely due to the fact that the cardio and the gas tank is gone or a portion of his body that isn't above the shoulders is handicapped due to his opponent's assault. Rarely do we see one of these guys clean knocked out, but I think there's a high probability of that happening. Um, it, it, it's a great fight. I know Derek Lewis is a slight favorite here. I think a big reason why is that Tai Tuivasa is going to play into the exact type of fight Derek wants to have. And that type of fight, I probably have more confidence in Lewis's ability to finish Ty because I think he's just got more power more dangerous power. And I think that's why he's the favorite. But if I had to put some money down, if I had to make a prediction, it would be on two of us. And it largely has to do with the multitude of weapons he has. And my confidence in him kind of elevates as the fight continues to go on against Derek Lewis. Yeah. I mean, look, I think if you're looking for a betting underdog in this car to potentially target, uh, if you live in a state where you could, you know, place a wager, I think Todd Huvasa is someone to, to obviously look at putting some money down. But I mean, look, you know, we got the main event, the rematch and Robert Whitaker has been on a great run since their first matchup. I mean, look, I don't know what changes, Robert Whitaker can make. I, I think one of the changes probably he, you know, he kind of joked about today, you know, he was asked about, it, he said, he goes, well, I got to keep my hands up. I think the other part of it is I believe he has to fight a very patient fight. Now you look at this run that he's been on since losing a title. He, he scored a lot of takedowns. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I will say this. One of the funniest clips I have seen on MMA social media over the last 48 hours or so comes from the interview that Brett Okamoto had with Izzy and uh, Dan Hooker. Apparently, he's a pretty hilarious dude. This camp sparring, I'm talking literally talking with my sparring partners and there's no, like, they're my friends. They're my brothers, mm -hmm. you know? And we talk like me and Dan, there's one bit where <laughs> I was with him, I did something and he goes, Vittori's the real champ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. And he got me off guard. I started laughing. I was like, Vittori's the what? <laughs> but yeah, like I'm talking to them because I'm having fun and it's it's what we do. It's a, it's, a, it's a banter. It's the banter between us yeah. and even me and Ben Boyce, that's one of my best fighting partners. If I want hard rounds, I'll go with old Boyce. And yeah, he's, he's, a <laughs> he's fun to play with. Um, I'm a bigger fan of Dan Hooker now. I like know, that's, that's hilarious. hilarious. You're, you're you're sparring the best middleweight in the world, and you're like, Vittori's a real champ. You're uh, dangerous. He's got a death sentence. I can't believe that. That's hilarious, uh, and it's awesome that they're that they've got that kind of chemistry. Just a great story, and I'm glad you pulled that sound bite. Man, this fight is hard to call, bro. It really is. Man, I loved their fight last time. Like it was. It was pretty back and forth. Like, like in that fight, Whitaker landed quite a few good shots. I think the difference probably like the speed and this like the significance of the strikes Israel was landing versus Whitaker. 
it really felt like as the fight went on, Adesanya timed out where Whitaker was going to be, and he put him away. <sighs> Man, when I look at Adesanya's most recent performances, they aren't super sexy. They aren't super exciting. There is a part of me that wonders if things are slipping, but I just can't pick against Israel Adesanya in this fight. I think when you look at his resume, yeah. also when you look at his age and where he's at in his career, contrasted with Whitaker, I, I got to go Adesanya. I, I do, but I worry for Israel because Izzy's last few performances haven't been spectacular. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I, I've really noticed in taking in various content, I, and earlier today I was watching on the UFC YouTube channel of the uh, show, Paul Felder and, and Michael Chiesa done, and, and they both believe this thing's going to go 25 minutes. I mean, I, I think, you know, look, is if you're Robert Whitaker, you just can't go in there kind of reckless, you know. And, and you know, Whitaker talked about it earlier today. He said, he goes, look, he goes, there was there was physical and mental issues heading into that fight, and, and to me, it's going to be about you know is can he fight a calm fight, pick and choose his shots. I kind of think that I think a key to victory for Robert Whitaker maybe trying to get this up against the fence, kind of a dirty boxing type uh, of fight there. But I'm like you, I, my pick is Izzy in the fight. I just I can't go against him right now. And by the way, it was announced earlier today, Izzy has signed a new contract with the UFC. Yeah, and so that's great news for the UFC. They've obviously had a lot of trouble with some of these big names, but Israel Adesanya is absolutely someone who I anticipate will continue to be one of the best pound-for-pound fighters for the next five years. But this is a very pivotal fight for him because, again, we haven't seen him fight like one of the best fighters in the world in terms of like watch paying for a pay-per-view, watching him fight, and coming away thinking, damn, I just saw greatness. He... Hasn't done that in a, in a hot minute. This, I think, will present a great opportunity to do so. Robert Whitaker is one of his toughest challengers he'll ever face at 185. Uh, when I look at what's going to happen in this fight, I just think Whitaker will be unable to take it down. I think he's going to have some success on the feet. But over the long haul, I just think Izzy's the plain better striker, both technically but also physically. The advantages are there for Adesanya. And, of course, two fights prior to the main event will be a key matchup at middleweight. Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson. Probably the, the biggest thing, the, the biggest news from Derek Brunson today was the fact that he's only going to fight two more times, and then he's done. He's going to get out of the sport, which I thought was kind of an interesting question. Uh, Blonde Brunson is in full effect. And, we, and if you've been around mixed martial arts, you know what Blonde, Blonde Brunson means. Um, you know, Jerry Cannonier, when he was at light heavyweight, he really did struggle with keeping the fight on the feet. At, at middleweight, he has done a much better job, but obviously that is a clear path to victory here for Derek Bronson is to get this fight to the ground, not get into a striking matchup for Jared Cannonier. It's about keeping it on the feet. It's a key matchup. And look, I, I, I mentioned about if you're looking to bet on these fights and you're looking for underdogs to target, Derek Brunson's got to be one of those underdogs you got to target because if he is able to take Jared Cannonier down, I do see a, a unanimous decision coming for, for Derek Brunson. Yeah, I think he's going to win this fight too, man. I do. Unless he gets sucked into a stand-up fight. Like, we've seen that out of him at times where he, he does make that mistake and he doesn't go with what will lead to his success. That's a bad strategy against Cannonier, even though Brunson's got plenty of, of offensive firepower himself. I like him, too. You know, if I was in Las Vegas at the moment, I would probably put down a little teaser for Brunson and, and Taito Avasa and, and play that because I like those two slight dogs. 
I might even throw in uh, Jared Vanderbilt against Andre Arlovsky, who's like plus 125 in some places. You know, I like some of these little dogs on this card. I heard this stat today about Jared Vandera and Andre Arlovsky. When Andre Arlovsky made his pro debut, Jared Vandera was six years old. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's the craziest stat. And, <laughs> and, and Jared admitted that uh, he, he's fangirled out a little bit, the fact that he's fighting Andre Arlovsky. Um, you know, and, and Jared kind of made it clear. He's like, look, I'm trying to keep this thing on the feet. Uh, you know, and, and Andre Arlovsky, I mean, look, he's a guy that, well, we counted out, what, five, six years ago, and this guy is still going strong at, what, 43 years old, 42 years old? Yeah, he's literally four and one in his last five. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Like, Arlovsky's a no-doubt UFC Hall of Famer. Like, as soon as he retires, he should immediately go in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he he's not the most legendary guy, but based on the fact that he's a former heavyweight champion and he had that nice little run and he was a top guy whenever it was him and Tim Sylvia and the longevity of his career. I mean, he has the most fights in UFC heavyweight history at 36. It's like, this is a Hall of Fame. I wonder who has the most fights in UFC history. Do we know? What's that? Do you know? Off the top of your head? Uh, Cerrone's up there. Jim Miller's up there. Oh, Jim Miller has to be the answer. That has to be the answer. Clay Guida's got to be up there. Let's see. God, I don't... I don't. It's, I think it's Jim Miller at 38. So, Jim... Man, you nailed it. You you nailed it, actually. According to Five Matrix, which I'm assuming they're right, Miller 38, Cerrone 37, Arlovsky 36. You nailed it, dude. Spot on. Top three. Yeah. But by, by the way, you know, this sport has a very bad way to end fighters career. And uh, Sean oshadi has got a great piece on Roxanne modifier modifier. People haven't checked that out, but uh, you know, she's got a tough matchup in her final fight. You know, she talked about today. She's like, it just got to the point where she just wasn't having the fun that she used to have. You know, she did talk about, it sounds like she's going to continue on in the jujitsu world, but uh, you know, Roxanne Montefiore, she's been in this position before, but I just feel like, unfortunately for Roxanne on Saturday night, it's not going to be a storybook ending. And that's just the way this sport goes. You I, outside of George St. Pierre, who retires on a winning note in this sport? Just uh, Henry Cejudo, and then he's trying to come back. Ender Magomedov, and and uh, I guess just GSP and, and Habib. But yeah, I think this is probably going to be. I mean, look, Montefiore's a very hard fighter to finish. Like she hardly ever gets finished. Um, but I do think Casey O'Neill probably does finish her. You know, uh, Montefiore was in a similar position. You kind of alluded to that when she took on Macy Barber. Uh, a couple years ago, and she pulled off the massive upset. So, look, she's an OG. She's a legend. She's been around since, like, you know, the Aaron Toehill days, and uh, literally since 2003. Damn. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I think Montefiore will probably lose this one and probably get finished because Casey O'Neill is just unbelievable, and it's not good when you have one foot out the door. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, some other good fights on this card. Bobby Green versus Nazarok Haparas. Uh, you know, some of the, uh, you know, I'm interested to see what Alex Perez looks like against Matt Janelli. He's a pretty big favorite there at 125 pounds. Uh, Leo Mano Martinez is on this card. Of course, he was on the show last week. He's taking on Ronnie Lawrence. And, I mean, look, Ronnie's going to try to get that fight to the ground. Mano Martinez wants to keep that fight uh, on the feet. Uh, AJ Dobson makes his official UFC debut on his on this card. I had a chance to catch up with him last week. Going to let you hear my conversation right now with AJ Dobson.
Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that we are going to see a part of UFC 271 as he makes his official UFC debut, AJ Dobson. First off, AJ, do you feel like it's your UFC debut or do you kind of feel like the Contender Series was your UFC debut? Not for nothing. You know, I've thought about this often. I really think the uh, the Contender Series, there really is no difference between that and like uh, um, an event that's that's held at the Apex. Like it's the same flow, same kind of thing. So honestly, I feel like I made my debut already. This is just, you know, I'm not, this is the, the official. <laughs> it's kind of you're in this unique situation because for, you know, I mean, look over the last year and a half, a lot of fighters who like were in your particular situation, you know, they won the Contender Series, they, they got the contract. They make their debut in the same venue, same cage, no fans. Yeah. However, it's a very different story for you this time. You're you're on a pay per view card. You're you know full house there in Texas. Like, have you kind of thought about just how that's going to be from a, a an atmosphere wise? Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly really excited to be in that kind of uh, arena. Um, I've played sports my whole life, so I'm used to the big crowd and used to performing performing under uh, big bright lights. So it'll be just another day for me, and I, I, I really appreciate the experience. So I can't wait. All right, so it makes me think about uh, through your athletic journeys, like is there a bucket list of venues that you want to compete in? Definitely um, uh, Madison Square Garden. Okay. Uh, you know, I was born in Brooklyn, so growing up, you always hear about that. So that would definitely be something that I would love to do. Um, and then also um, nationwide in Ohio. So those two definitely I have to do at some point before my career is done. So are you a Brooklyn Nets fan? Um, Not really. You know, it's so funny. I don't really watch any other sports besides mm. combat sports. Um, so, but yeah, technically I, I always default to any New York team. So I'll, I'll definitely say, yeah, I'm a, I'm an, I'll say I'm a Nets, uh, Brooklyn Nets fan. <laughs> now, like, is that a situation where, you know, you're, you're just so busy with, you know, your, your everyday life of training and, and doing everything you need to do to get ready for this fight that it's just by the time you get home or you start your morning, like that is the last thing on your mind. No, I mean, that's honestly how I've always been. I, when I was in high school, middle school, I never really watched basketball or football. Like, I, you know, but I come from a Jamaican family, so it was uh, soccer and track and field and tennis in the house all the time. Um, so I definitely, I played football and I respect the athleticism. I respect the athleticism and basketball as well and all those other sports, but it just wasn't for me. You know, and, and of course we mentioned about, you know, you won their contender series. That was September. You know, this fight was pretty much booked immediately. However, it did get delayed. And so like, as you think of the pros and cons of, of the fight taking place, you know, about three weeks after it was initially supposed to, like, what do you look at as the biggest advantages and, and maybe the biggest disadvantages of, of you know, a, additional three weeks of prepare? Yeah, I get. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Uh, I just thought of it as an uh, extra time to prepare, uh, extra time to refine and get better. So it really wasn't that devastating to me. I didn't really care. Um, I, I mean, I would have much rather uh, seen uh, Francis live. That'd have been awesome. But um, either way, didn't matter. Three weeks is almost better. So, you know, as you, like, you, you of course mentioned about Francis, is your biggest takeaway from that is just it's another prime example of the sport that you have to be prepared for everything. The biggest thing is uh, you have to evolve. Uh, I remember uh, um, Diego Sanchez said that a long time ago. He said, this is a sport where if you don't evolve, you're going to get eaten. Um, so we saw Francis evolve. You know, that, that was the one thing that, that uh, everyone always said about Francis is his wrestling. He's got to take him to the ground. You got to wear him out. And then he showed that he has wrestling and cardio. So evolve. He's got to evolve each time. 
I, I was speaking at your Instagram and there was a, a recent post you had that really stuck out to me where you wrote, my twenties were filled with a lot of ups and downs, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Thankful for all the lessons learned and friendships I've made. The kid on my right would be super proud of how far the man on my left has come. And on February 12th, the world will witness the 10 years of blood, sweat and sacrifice that was put in, which kind of made me think of that word towards the end sacrifice. Like as you think about the biggest sacrifices you've made to, to get to this point, like what, is there something that immediately sticks out to you? Um, you know, just a typical thing, not being able to go out, um, Christmases, Thanksgivings, you know, birthdays being skipped over, um, a special time with my girlfriend, you know, you know, taking her out and all that stuff, all that had to be, you know, put on the back burner for this. So, so much I sacrificed in my twenties, you know, but it's all worth it. So when you, and because it was a collage of pictures that you had there, you know, of outlining of, you know, where you've come from to get to this point, like, as you put that post together and you kind of looked at some of those older pictures, like it, was there anything that kind of came to your mind? Maybe, maybe did you look at say, man, look at how my body has transformed over these last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's just looking back and just seeing, you know, those old pictures, I'm, it takes me back to my mind, my mindset at those times, like uh, how I was feeling during those times. And it's just such a relief. You know, one of the biggest things I said after um, the last fight was I was able to breathe like, a, you know, it felt like a, a knot in my chest for 10 years. And that's seriously what it was. You know, every year, um, you know, you get older and people are like, ah, oh, what are you doing? You know, is this the right thing to do? So just looking back on that and seeing how far I've come, it really, you know, put things into, into perspective for me and humbled me and really uh, gave me a sense of appreciation. So, you know, you know, one of the, the terms I just hate in this sport is I'll say, Oh, AJ, you got a ton of pressure on you. I'm like, well, no crap. Everyone's got pressure. But I, I think that, you know, a lot of people looking at this matchup uh, against Chicken Malcoon, they'll say, man, you've got Whitaker's training partner, you know, they'll say, Hey, he's got more pressure. But like, as you think about your level of pressure, is it one of those things that it's, it's just decreased over the years of kind of where your mindset is? Absolutely. Um, you know, pressure is kind of what you make it like you, you kind of build it yourself, you know? So at the end of the day, I understand that this is a fight you know, it's fun. It's something that I've, you know, done for years. So it's not like something crazy, you know what I mean? Um, so I don't really put pressure on myself, you know, it, the sport is about fun. You know what I mean? I, I'm trying to show my skills win or lose. My, my, my biggest thing is I want to show my highlight, show my skill set, uh, provide good highlights and have a really good entertaining fight that fans, you know, will look back at. So I never put pressure on myself. You know, obviously there's, there's a sporting aspect of it. There's an entertaining aspect of it. I mean, um, you ha ha, you know, they always talk about, there's like that, that line, that imaginary line, like you don't want to go over that line and, and get like, you know, too aggressive, put too much pressure. I mean, like, how do you kind of balance that in the fight? I'm not sure. I mean, I think just preparation, you know, uh, visualizing, understanding what I'm doing and putting in the time in the gym, you know, as long as I put the time in, in the gym, there's nothing that, you know, will scare me or shock me in the cage. So that that's my whole thing is making sure I'm a well-oiled machine. I'm prepared to go and everything else will come. Obviously, one of the storylines with you is obviously, uh, you know, being side by side there with Matt Brown for all these years as your coach and helping you grow as a martial artist. And I was watching that interview you had and you were talking about, you know, him being the, the greatest influence on your martial arts career, which kind of made me think about, you know, like who, who else do you label as influences on your career? 
Um, uh, definitely Mark Coleman, um, uh, Matt Bryan, uh, Dorian Price, um, uh, Ryan Madigan. Uh, I've, I've had so many, you know, really good teachers. Dave Freetag, Carlos Carvalho, uh, my jiu-jitsu coach. Um, there have been so many good people, but it all started through Matt. You know, well, technically it started through my jiu-jitsu coach, uh, Carlos Carvalho. Um, he actually trained Cowboy and uh, helped Amanda Nunez out earlier in her career. And when he saw me, you know, he was like, oh, you're, you've got the talent. You're going to make it. And he brought me around everybody. He, he was the one that was helping Matt for his camps and uh, brought me in and would always talk me up. So, you know, I've just been f- so fortunate to be around such good people and good influences. So it's, it's been very, uh, uh, very helpful for me. As you think about this matchup here at UFC 271 against Jacob Malkoon, like as you think about what you need to do to walk away with a victory, is there one thing that, that sticks out to you more than everything else? Just be me. You know, I just have to be me. I have to be me, be confident, uh, and take what whatever he gives me. Uh, you know, I, I'm training every single day, you know, sparring hard every day, lifting weights, doing cardio, doing all these things. So as long as I know my sword is sharp, I feel like I can cut through anybody. All right, two things you said there just immediately stuck out to me. You said, it gotta be me, and I gotta take advantage of what he gives me, which I, there's so many times I, I've talked to, whether I'm talking to a, a mixed martial arts, a football player, basketball player, baseball player, they always, they always say is like, I got to take what my opponent gives me. You know, I can't, I can't force things. Is that a mentality you've always had or maybe early on in your career, you had to learn some lessons? That's it. I had to learn some lessons. You know, I've definitely, uh, and luckily I've been able to learn these lessons, um, in the gym. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you go up against guys that are more skilled than you and you try to, you know, impose your will and try to, you know, you know, big brother people. And then you get humbled. So throughout those gym wars, throughout those lessons, I've learned, you know, just to stay patient, you know, stay behind your jab, see what people give you and don't rush anything. Don't force anything. So that's been the biggest thing for me. When this fight is over, are we planning on taking some Texas barbecue? Uh, probably not. You know, I think I'm going to keep the diet on a little bit. You know, I, I just turned 30. So everything I eat will stick now. So now I'm on the, the <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I'm 40, bro. I know exactly what you mean, man. It's like I tell people, man, those, you know, those hangovers hit a little harder, you know, when you get, get older on life. Long time ago. So, yeah, cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, as you think about, you know, 2021, I mean, I understand that everything is about, you know, this fight. But as you think about what you want to accomplish in 2021, have you set some personal goals this year? Um, honestly, the, the biggest thing for this year is to, um, uh, hopefully get out of this rookie contract. I want to fight as much as I can this year, get as much, uh, experience in the octagon as I can. And, um, hopefully, uh, come close to, uh, fighting out my contract. Awesome. Awesome. We look forward to seeing this fight here. UFC 271. Of course, you'll take on Jacob Malkoon. AJ, appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know anything you can find on social media. Anything else we'll mention, man. Uh, yes, uh, follow me, uh, Dobson UFC. Also follow my health and wellness business, uh, I.Mosh underscore. Um, I'll give you uh, some good uh, tips on the new product that I have, uh, CMOS and all the benefits and everything like that, how it's helped me and how it's helping people around me. So tune in. And that was my conversation with AJ Dobson. Very interested to see him. Of course, uh, been a, a longtime uh, training partner and his coach, Matt Brown, also working there with Mark Coleman as well. Interested to see how he does in his UFC debut. And of course, uh, yes, yeah, be going down on Saturday, UFC 271. But Daniel, it is time that we get to the WTF stories of the week. And our first WTF story comes from the Bruce 
Buffer podcast where the Francis Ngannou contract situation came up. I, I want to see Francis fight. I just, I just want to yeah, see. Him. We're going to Bruce. I mean, that that's the thing. Like when I look at uh, some of the people that have gone, you know, head to head with, with the UFC and Dana White in the past, uh, not too many people ever just go their own way and never come back. You know, I, 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 I'd be stupid to go your own way. The, the right. UFC is the NFL. Right. It, 100%. And you know, that's the thing. There's a lot of talk about fighter pay and you and I, we don't need to go far deep into the woods on that. But, but like you said, you know, outside of some special circumstances where, you know, you're going to probably not be fighting MMA, all the money to be made for someone like Francis Ngannou is in the ultimate fighting championship. And ultimately, uh, no pun intended, that's where it's going to end up being. I mean, Francis, I don't think is done wanting to fight mixed martial arts and prove that he's the best in the world and take the, the, the money out of the equation for a moment. There's nowhere that Francis would fight outside of the UFC that would further his cause at being the best heavyweight in mixed martial arts. It just wouldn't. Yes, he can go box, but if he wants to establish himself as one of the greatest of all time in MMA, it's going to have to be in that, that eight-sided cage. No offense to other organizations, but you become, <clears throat> you become irrelevant when you leave the UFC after a while. That quote right there was very telling to me. And, of course, the other voice you heard was TJ DeSantis. And I do think it should be noted that TJ does shows for UFC Fight Pass. So I think we got to kind of take that stuff with a grain of salt there. But, Daniel, like when I, I saw the quote initially, then I even when I heard it, my first thought was like, bro, Bruce Buffer is one of the biggest personalities in the sport, no question. But it's like, dude, you're the ring announcer, and you're basically telling Francis Ngannou, you need to make pennies on the dollar. Like, what the F? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if, if Francis resigns, if he's going to make eye contact as hard as he did with Jack Hermanson, as he does with Francis Ngannou when he's reading out his name. But yeah, it, it's kind of weird for someone like Bruce Buffer to have comments like this. And you know, a conversation like that, I kind of get the points they're trying to make, but there really isn't much pushback. Like in terms of, look, money's money. It doesn't matter if the UFC's paying you or if a boxing promoter is paying you. That money still is will get cashed in if you go to a bank account with a big chest, a big check. And Francis has opportunities to make lots of money similar, if not more money, outside of the UFC. In terms of relevance to the MMA fan, I do think Francis's name value probably won't be as relevant as if he would be headlining UFC pay-per-views. I think right off the bat, it will maintain its relevancy because he would probably immediately go and fight Tyson Fury, which is a bigger opportunity than just about anything he could possibly get in the UFC. So, look, if Ngannou beats Tyson Fury, there's more value there than any fight he gets in the UFC other than maybe John Jones. But that's a very difficult thing. He's probably going to lose that fight. And after the Tyson Fury fight, that's when he gets into trouble. But at the end of the day, to say you're irrelevant if you're not in the UFC just is not true. I mean, look, for all those fighters that get jacked up when Bruce has announced their name, just remember these comments. Just remember these comments because... He just told you who he cares more about. He he is not a part of the solution of fighters making more money. He's a part of the problem. And the well, fact is, he you know, Francis Ngannou, he's 35 years old. This is his opportunity to get paid. And you're essentially telling him, no, nah, man, you need to take less money. Like, dude, it's like, use a football analogy. 
if you're hearing an offensive lineman's name, it's not a good thing. Yeah. We shouldn't be hearing from the ring announcer. Yeah, not not regarding these situations. And and I can't blame Bruce Buffer because obviously he's going to be on the UFC side because the UFC has given him a phenomenal life. Mm, Yeah. You know? But yeah, like if you're the UFC ring announcer, I don't know why you would go out and say these things that would probably piss off the Francis. And and again, you are going to possibly be in the cage with him again, uh, announcing him, and, and to say that he would be irrelevant for making a decision that may be better for him financially, it's just a weird way to go about it. But yeah, if you're Bruce Buffer, you never want to be a headline, and he no. was this past week. Rumble Johnson did respond to this comment on Instagram where he said, quote, Bruce needs to stay off crack. How's anything irrelevant when providing food and shelter for your family? Oh, by the way, I got paid way more for moving to another organization. Bruce has his guaranteed money so he can talk. Fighters have to wait and actually entertain people when they get a chance to make some money. Bro, that first line, Bruce needs to get off the crack. I just started laughing. Yeah. Yeah, I think Anthony Johnson, uh, he, he made a great choice uh, for himself financially. And he's kind of proof that what they were talking about is a bunch of malarkey. Yeah, there, there's. let's just say this. There's guys in Bellator who are making a ton of money. By the way, my other WTF story this week was, I want to say it was last Friday. I'm sitting here in the office and an email comes in for the ultimate fighter season 30 now look this is a show that doesn't go to me but then i start looking at the names and my wtf i'm like bobby maximus 43 years old he's five and four yeah this is a former ufc fighter who hasn't fought since 2009 he fought in the ufc yeah what the hell i never this part oh Oh, it's Rob McDonald. Correct, yeah. He now goes by oh, Bobby Maximus. But it's like, hold on, the ultimate fighter is about, especially about young, up-and-coming fighters. I mean, look, if you look at the, the, the women flyweights, they all pretty much have six fights or, or less on their career. But it's like, this has to be a reality show, reason why he's on the show. Has to be. Oh, my God. Oh, his name is Bobby Maximus. I think that's probably why. This guy fought in the UFC 2006. He gets Eric Schaefer. And it's 2022, uh, bro. <laughs> holy, yeah. Wow. I did not know this. I knew that they had a 43-year-old, Bobby Maximus. I did not know he had changed his name. Uh, this is this is truly unbelievable stuff. Um, look, I might be watching just to see what's going on with Bobby Maximus. I feel bad for Bobby Maximus. I think no one talks about the ultimate fighter. And now everyone's talking about how they got this old dude who's 43 years old. But yeah, like what, you know, I'm rooting for Bobby Maximus. Screw it, man. I want to see this guy who hasn't fought in over a decade prove it that these old guys still got it. I want to talk about a 44-year-old Ultimate Fighter 30 champion because I'm just assuming by the time this is over, he'll be 44. But yeah, that, that's a weird mix, by the way. Men's heavyweights and women's flyweights. 
I mean, two divisions, I mean, look, they, they need talent in, in those divisions. Um, you know, there were some names that I did recognize. I uh, recognize, obviously, Chandler Cole. have had him on the podcast in the past. Recognize uh, Muhammad Usman. Um, the most interesting thing about both those guys, there are two guys coming off losses in the PFL. Um, you know, that one was kind of interesting. Um, you know, you look at it, but a lot of this is young up-and-coming fighters. Coaches by Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena. So we'll see how it goes there. Um, I mean, look, I haven't watched the Ultimate Fire since the ATT Black Zillion season. Yeah. I don't think I'll be tuning in this season either. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Look, I thought I was going to watch the last season, and I stopped after four episodes, and I had no idea who Brian Battle and Treshawn Gore were when they fought. So, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be watching this, but maybe Bobby Maximus is just the secret ingredient the ultimate fighter has been missing and he's going to make this must watch that I have to watch every episode to see what Bobby Maximus does. Yeah, I mean the 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 filming has uh started this week in Vegas so we'll see what happens uh there. Uh do got one more interview uh left to play here and then we'll come back and wrap the show up. Right now you're going to hear the conversation that I have with Michael Aswell who fights on Friday at Fury, Fury FC 57. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a undefeated fighter that you'll be able to see here at Fury FC 57, February the 11th, of course, live on UFC Fight Pass. Michael as well. Michael, appreciate the time. Before we even get into anything, I kind of know Texas Kid. H- how did we yeah. get this nickname? Yeah, so that was like, I got the name. It started from my dad. And um, we're, I was really trying to, like, come up. I was like, yeah, let me, like, think of something cool. I was like, maybe I'll have one of those, like, cool nicknames, you know, like, like Connor's, like, the Notorious. I'm like, damn, that's, that's a badass name, you know. And I guess it really comes from Uriah, you know, the California kid. And I just, I mean, me personally, I just love, like, I love Houston. That's my thing. I just, like, you know, Houston's my city. But, you know, I don't want to be like the H. I mean, I could have been, I guess, the H-Town kid. But my dad was like the Texas kid. And it kind of stuck. And I know my mom was like, oh, that's not that, you know, that's not that good. And my thinking is like, I'm going to be like 35 or, you know, say I'm, I'm fighting until I'm like in my 30s. Like, I'm not even going to be a kid anymore, you know. I'm not going to be. But I started when I was like, you know, 17. So, like, the Texas kid, it kind of fit, you know, from Texas. And, yeah, so my dad kind of, my dad we started it and we're just, let's just try it. You know, we could always change it if we don't like it and it kind of stuck. And honestly, like I kind of like it now. It's kind of been growing on me and you know, people see me and it's like, Oh, it's the Texas kid. I'm like, what's up? What's up? So, but I mean, I kind of like it, you know, it's got a nice little ring to it. So I was scrolling through your Instagram uh, feed and, and there was one that stuck out. There was one post. It doesn't have anything to do with fighting. Uh, you jumping out of a plane in, on your 21st birthday. So uh, <laughs> how did this happen? Um, so I've been wanting to skydive for a while. And um, I was, it's just been hard, like, you know, really finding like a place. I know there's one in Houston, but I was going to Vegas for my 21st birthday. That was also like the same time, like the Volkanovski and um, Ortega fight happened. So we had tickets over there. And my dad was like, well, I mean, since we'll be there, might as well, you know, skydive. So this is actually, it's the funniest stuff. So we go to like get ready to skydive and we're getting ready. They're setting us up. We get on the plane and they take us up and we're like hovering over like the mountains and everything. 
and then they get like a call and like, we're like, they're like, all right, 10 minutes out, they're like five minutes out. And they get a call on the radio. And I guess there's like some like dust that was like, you know, down below. And so we're literally about to jump and like, uh, actually, no, we can't jump today. So they, and we're just, I'm just like, what do you mean we can't jump? Like, there's like dust happening. So then they just take us back down. So like, you know, you're getting like hyped up, like you're ready to jump out of this plane. And they're just like, nope, you're not gonna be able to jump today. And I was just like, dang. And this is the, this is the day before my birthday. So we were like trying to figure out like a schedule of like when we can jump again. And they're like, you can come back tomorrow. And my dad's an early bird anyways. So they had like a 6.30, I think, or 6.45. And I was like, all right, just wake me up. Like, like I don't like getting up early, but I was like, dad, if you just wake me up, like I'll do it. So we went the next day at like 6.30, 6.45. And honestly, it might've been even like a better experience. We were up like in the sky watching like the sun rise. And then, um, yeah, and you just put your little feet off the off the plane, and they just kind of jump and just free fall in, and um, it was actually pretty dope. I kind of want to go like all over and just jump out of planes. It's pretty, it's pretty dope feeling, and I got to do it with my pops, so that was even cooler. That's awesome. That's awesome. I I don't know if I could do the skydiving thing. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not afraid. Of, I'm not afraid of heights. Like it, it, it seems, it seems scary at first. It seems scary, but then once you jump, then you're like, oh, honestly, you know, it's, not the, it's the anticipation part, like flying up there and kind of just hovering over. Yeah. That's like the hard part. I you feel know, like, yeah, I feel like the part would be where I would probably be in freak out mode is when I'm standing at the door. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, 100%. Then they got you, though. Like the guy that I jumped with, he said he had like over like 12,000 like jumps. So I was like, okay, that makes me feel a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Do the tandem. Yeah. That's definitely the, the way, the way to go there. Uh, but you know, in terms of this martial arts journey, like when, when did it start for you? Um, my martial arts journey started when I was around 13 or 14. I, I played a lot of sports growing up. You know, I was just kind of just like, um, like an all around, you know, athlete. I just love sports. I was just competing really. And um, this one year, I didn't play football. It was like my eighth grade year. And there was these cheerleaders that cheered for my, like my little league football team that I played with. And they told me, they're like, hey, like we do jujitsu at this um, place. It was Metro Fight Club in Houston. And like, you should try it. You know, you're not playing this year. Um, we think you'd be pretty good at it. I was like, yeah, sure, you know, stay in shape. You're ready for, you know, keep me in shape for football going into high school. And I just remember going in um, my first day of jiu-jitsu, going with, like, some purple belt. And I remember, like, getting choked out, like, my first time, like, going. And I was like, okay. I kind of like, you know, kind of like this, you know. And I just, like, I like the competing aspect. I think the thing that really got me was, like, the – it was the one-on-one aspect of the, you know – of the competitive, like of competing where it's like in football, you know, you got like 10 other guys, you know, if they mess, like if you do your job and they mess up, then y'all still, and y'all still could potentially lose. But it's like, if you mess up, it's on you. So I remember doing jujitsu when I was around 13, 14 and I was competing and I never really thought I was going to fight necessarily. I was just like, really just like competing in jujitsu. I was like, Oh, no strikes or anything. And uh, so I would do jujitsu. I would do the little kickboxing class too. And then I went to high school, kind of stopped a little bit. 
and then my history teacher was uh, my wrestling coach. Okay. And, and he would tell me, um, you know, you should try wrestling, you know, it'd be good for your football too. And I was like, oh, maybe like, I didn't really want to wear the singlet or whatever at the time. And, um, but then I was like, well, he's my history teacher. I was like, if I wrestle, you know, that's like bonus points. I'll probably get an A, you know, if I wrestle. And so I ended up wrestling and then it was the same thing as the jujitsu, you know, it's one-on-one. It's very physical. And I was just getting after it. And I remember, um, I'm like, maybe my jujitsu will help with, um, my wrestling. So I go back to Metro where I was at originally. And I just remember, you know, I was doing, I was doing both classes, you know, cause I was trying to lose weight for wrestling too, you know, to be in a certain weight class. And, um, I just remember I was training and, um, my coach pulls me to the side, kind of pulls me to his office. And, um, if anyone knows, like coach saw how he was, he's just like hard nose, like really rugged just like, you know, and, and he, and he pulls me to his office and I'm just like, I'm like kind of like on edge already. And he's like, you know, telling me about being a fighter. And, um, he's like, he's like, I can, he's like, I can see, you know, something in you. And he's, and he told me, he's like, if you let me train you and, um, and at the time I was a little chubby, you know, I was trying to lose weight. He was like, if you can cut down to 145 pounds, um, I'll let you fight for me. And he's like, I'll be able to, he's like, I'll make you a champion. And I was like, wow, I kind of opened my eyes and I was like, yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> like it's almost like a challenge. I'm not like a challenge, but it's like, you know, someone believes that I can do that. And then it made me believe I can do that. And I was like, Oh yeah. I was like, I'm on it. You know, started losing the weight. And then, um, I just started training. I'd go to school, go wrestle and then go straight to training. And sometimes I'd even like leave school early. Like at our, during lunch, I'd leave school during lunch, go train, come back, wrestle, and then go to train again. So after that, after once he told me that, I kind of just, I really like kind of locked in almost. And um, I wasn't really playing as much like in football as I thought I would be. And I didn't really grow either. So I was like, oh, yeah, maybe it's not going to work out for me. So, um, yeah, I started losing the weight. I was around like 205, 210 mm-hmm. at the time just because I was lifting a lot, you know, for football. And he was like, yep, just stop lifting. You just don't lift anymore. I was like, all right, it sounds good to me. And uh cut down, made it 145, and then had my first fight when I was 17 in like May, May 2017. And then, uh, yeah, after that, I lost my first amateur fight, and I was like, "Yep, yeah, yeah I'm, that's not going to happen again." I was like, "I was like, I'm ready to get back to work," and I kind of just fell into it. I fell in love almost. I was like, "Man, this is this is what I want to do for sure." But you haven't lost since that fight. Yeah, you, know, you, if you, yeah, you've just actually, been racking them up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I do not want to feel what I just felt. After that fight, and I was like, it was my first fight. And I was I was finding a pretty good guy at the time. I think he was like three and zero, four and zero with like all first round finishes, you know. So, um, so and I was doing good. I was you know I was touching him, I was touching him, but I kind of just got like in a wrestling mode, you know, not even, you know, like someone had my back, and I was like okay with someone having my back, you know, because wrestling you're like trying to whatever. But I just remember being in the back and just like oh like not like. Now I know it's a little different, you know, like 
you know, you don't really lose your kind of like learning and your understanding, like, and it's amateurs too. But at the time it's like, man, all my friends and family, like, feel like almost like if I let them down almost, and I just had like a bad, and I don't like losing already. Like I probably hate losing more than I, you know, enjoy winning almost. I'm just like, I'm just competitive like that. Like I don't even like losing at like board games or like anything, you know, we're just playing like paper, rock, scissors. I do not like losing. That's just not, you know? And I was like, I don't want to feel like that. And um, I was like, I'm never, or I'm never gonna be choked out with no rear naked choke again. I was, I remember just going defense, rear naked choke defense, rear naked choke defense after that. I almost that's feel kinda, like that's kind of how it all started. It all started from these cheerleaders <laughs> just telling me, "Hey, you should you should try this jujitsu thing." I was like, "All right, that sounds cool." I almost feel like your teammates might see this and everybody tried to put the RNC on you in, in practice today. Oh, <laughs> oh, they try. Oh, they try. I'm like, I can't, I can't let it happen. Not again. Uh, yeah, as we're talking, we're a little over a week away from this fight. So, what's your mentality heading into into this one? Uh, my mentality, just like any other fight I feel like I I just want to be able to implement my game plan you know um, I want to be able to 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 dictate the pace dictate the pressure dictate you know what I what I want to do you know it's um, I just want to go in there cool calm collected uh, have fun like I always do and just and just I, I already know I'm prepared I know I'm ready. So it's just being able to go and just execute. You know, my biggest thing is just execute and don't let them, you know, dictate their game. You know, you implement your game plan, implement what you do best, and then go from there. If you have to adjust, you know, adapt and adjust and go from there. As you look at your opponent, Kyle, here, like, is there a certain aspect of his game that just, just sticks out to you? Say, man, he does this really well. Yeah, I mean, his striking is definitely, um, I feel like, the best part of his game. Um, so I'm going to go in there. I mean, I'm, I'm going to strike too. I'm going to go in there and strike and, you know, and just see where it goes, you know. So if, if it's a grappling that I'm going to have to do, I'll grapple. If I feel that I'm comfortable on my feet, it's just wherever I feel I'm doing best or comfortable or where it needs to be is where I'll take it, you know. And, of course, everyone's going to be able to see this fight here on UFC Fight Pass, February the 11th. Fury FC 57. Michael, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, uh, let me know that you can find on social media and anything else you want to mention. Um, yeah, social media, underscore Michael Aswell, uh, MMA. Uh, mention, I just want to um, shout out all my team at Metro. Shout out my team, uh, Glory 2. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited to fight. I'm ready to go. I appreciate you having me. Good conversation. Um, yeah, not too much to it. Just get not too much to it to get to it. That's it. And that was my conversation with Michael as well. Appreciate him coming on the podcast. All his matchup come up here on Friday at Fury FC 57. Of course, you can watch that on UFC Fight Pass. That card also features Boston Salmon making his return to MMA. Of course, had him on the show last week. And the biggest thing that he mentioned on the show last week was that if he can't get the win, then maybe it is time to do something else. So we'll see what happens there uh, with Fury FC 57. Of course, that going down there 
on Saturday. And, uh, you know, look, there's always, obviously, something always happening in mixed martial arts. So you got to keep it here uh, to the MMA Report podcast. Of course, always appreciate people taking time out of their day to download and listen to this episode. Great way to show your support. Obviously, checking out our sponsor of Manscaped over there. But, uh, you know, Daniel, anything you kind of want to, uh, maybe something else that's, that's piqued your mind in MMA over the last week? Man, I mean, not much other than I'm I'm just getting excited for this pay-per-view and I'm just super excited for this weekend, man. It, it's just it's going to be a great sports weekend. I, I get to go and and go to the circus on Saturday, come home, watch the UFC pay-per-view. Uh, I get to wake up on Sunday and watch the prelims on ESPN Plus and then get ready for the Super Bowl. I'm so excited for this weekend. Obviously, Bellator's got some good cards in the pipeline as well. But, yeah, I'm excited for that, and, and, and I just got to say, man, I don't want to end this on a sour subject, but I just want to say it's kind of crazy that I, 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 I just – like I will peruse through cable news channels, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, all of them, all of them, just for a couple minutes. Usually I'll just put it on mute, by the way. Like I'll have it on <laughs> mute while I'm exercising. Dude, it's surreal to see the UFC commentator just consistently on – major national news headlines like come on joe rogan what the heck bro come on bro dude i'm sitting at a family dinner tonight and my dad's asked me what's going on with joe rogan it's crazy like he's now become like the fifth most famous person in america largely due to not great reasons yeah as we do this show i haven't seen if he if he's working the ufc car on saturday but i would imagine the ufc probably will have him working yeah, that would be interesting. He he's become like a, a just a fabrication. Like just everyone now has an opinion about Joe Rogan, even if they've never listened to him do a podcast. Doctor Joe yeah. Rogan, baby. That's how famous he's gotten. Yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah, I, it's it's nuts. Like it's crazy. Like you think about like the biggest personalities in MMA history. Joe Rogan is is up there. Well, he's now super famous. I mean, for Joe Rogan defenders. uh, it's pretty hard to defend the N-word uh, montage. I think I think once you do the N-word montage, you are immediately like eject, like 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 the vaccine stuff, which is pretty bad. I was at least like, look, man, Joe's always been there for me for the UFC and whatnot. But yeah, then once you get into racial slurs, then it's like I am not touching this one, Joe. You are out on your own. I do not hear that on the podcast. But yeah, that was one of those where that's just. I mean that's toxic to to go on a on a professional uh, production and, and say a racial slur even in a joking manner, uh, especially if you uh, look like me or Joe Rogan. So like yeah, uh, t- tough stuff. But um, you know hopefully hopefully we we are in a better place because this this can go either one or two ways. Yeah, I, uh, I was trying to find the article. Terrence uh, McKinney. Uh, he wrote uh, he wrote an article on Newsweek. I don't know if you saw this one. The headline was, I don't need white people telling me what's supposed to offend me. And it's an opinion piece that Terrence wrote for Newsweek this week. I don't know if you, you happen to see that one. I didn't see that one. Yeah, it's uh, I saw that headline come up. But it's it, look, it'll be interesting to see kind of how this all plays out. Um, I expect you'll see Joe Rogan on the broadcast. By the way, also. Manning cast is coming to the UFC Word came out that of that today, which kind of becomes interesting of who could they put in there? I would love to see Michael Bisming just because I think Michael Bisming doesn't give an F and he'll say whatever's on his mind. But Daniel, you brought up a great point. The DS brothers. Whoo. 
Yeah, you, if you told me we were doing an alternate broadcast on Saturday against the Diaz brothers, oh, I am tuning in. Yeah, that would be the one thing where it would be like, I got to watch this. Like, out of all the possibilities, and it works, it's symmetry. Brothers and brothers across sports, I, I would be totally down for that. I don't know if the cameras would be able to actually capture them because there would be so much smoke in the room. But if you get the Diaz brothers and you get Brian Ortega in there, you get, you know, the other cast and crew, I mean, that's some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I think that I would pair Bisbing and Cruz because like, I feel like you get all the the professionalism, the fight breakout from Dominic Cruz, and then where you just get Michael Bisbee, who would just be talking maddish. Yeah, that would, yeah. I, I, I would I would dig that. I mean, it's almost like they have the types of, they have the guys that you would want to hear on the Manny broadcast, on the broadcast already in the UFC, realistically. Like, like I mean, come on, Bisbee is the guy, but... Yeah, I don't know. If I had a, if I had a, God, I don't. Is there anyone else that's even close? Like what, Conor McGregor doing the the Manning cast? Uh, yeah, if you could, if you could get Conor to do it, that would be interesting. What, John Jones and Daniel Cormier. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I think because you got to get a personality that people like. There's so many polarizing personalities, right? Like John Jones is not the most well-liked personality, and, and as is Connor. Whereas Peyton Manning is pretty universally liked unless you're Eric Coates in, in, in Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just happened to see on MMA Junkie, David Feldman has finally talked about Florida uh, athletic decision on uh, Melvin Gillard, uh, where he says, I respect the Florida State Athletic Commission. They've always been great to me, and they always do a fine job, so I'm going to support whatever decision they make. But on the other hand, they just look at it, look at he lost this many fights in a row, but not his last fight. But the fight before that, he lost a disqualification when he knocked somebody out, so they're not looking at at how he performed. Is he advancing his career? Yes, is he not the same Melvin Gillard? Yeah, he's not. But this is different also. It's different. If you say but, everything before it ain't mean nothing. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't. You, uh... Yeah. Shaking my head. That could that could go in the WTF stories of the week. Oh, yeah, man. I, I, I just, you know, you want to see bare knuckle succeed because it appears they're paying fighters a crap ton of money. But then there's a lot of times you see certain fighters get fights over there and you're just like, does anyone care about them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Melvin, Melvin's one of those guys that is just like, what the hell's going on? And, and granted, granted, we're not going to see him fight there. Thank goodness. The commission stepped in. But he's not the only one where there's concern. Has to be. It, it, it has to be a money situation. It has to be. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's a dangerous situation to put guys who are at that point in. Yeah, it's it's the only. You know, it's just it's, and it's crazy. The thing of here in my home state of Florida, we have become like this haven of every MMA and bare knuckle promotion. Uh, Anthony Pettis, I, I thought it's kind of interesting. He's doing a show in Lakeland, which is about an hour outside of Tampa on Friday night uh, for his inaugural event. Kind of interesting that he would do it here in Florida, not in his, you know back in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, CFFC is coming here, here uh, in March. I'm, I'm going to go to that show in March. It's a, a Thursday night show, so uh, at a casino. That's, sounds fun. Yeah, man, go gamble and watch some fights. I, that sounds amazing. Now, if we could only legally gamble on them here in the state of Florida, that'd be great too. 
That's true. That's true. Well, so the casino is like, uh, what? You just play slots? You know, slots, blackjack, poker, yeah. you know. You, you do sports betting? No? No, no. Yeah. We had sports betting legal for about three weeks, and then uh, it got uh, an injunction happened with the uh, Supreme Court. Yeah. Those pesky, those pesky justices. I look, my feeling is I think we're going to have sports betting legal across this country. I I would be surprised if there is a state that doesn't have it legalized in the next five years. I would hope so. I would love to be talking to you in this podcast five years from now as a 31-year-old betting. all the, I might not have internet, though. I might have lost all the money I have. <laughs> I, I Look, I would tell you this. If, if you are in a state where you can uh, bet on MMA, live betting is the way to go. That's where you can... Uh, really make some money, but that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Of course, be sure to check out our sponsor of this episode. That is Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MMA Report at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code MMA Report. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. We'll be back next week to take a look back at UFC 271 and get you ready for Bellator 274.